All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, can we just give God some praise for our worship team once again? Holy smokes, wow. I, I say this often, but I don't think we realize how spoiled uh, we are. Jed is our worship leader on staff, and we pay him once in a while with candy and pizza and things like that. Uh, but everybody else is volunteer. They're you. They're the, the church. And so I've said it once, and I'll say it again. We can't be the church unless you be the church. And we are so gifted with so many talented uh, musicians and, and artists here at Hope Tomorrow. We're just so thankful for them. Uh, not everybody uh, it can, can sing. That's why I'm not leading worship. And maybe some of you uh, would, would agree with that. Uh, but that's the reason uh, that God builds us as the body of Christ. So we're thankful for them. We're thankful for all uh, of our volunteers. I was talking about the worship team, but uh, thankful for our production crew back in the booth. Can we give God praise for them this morning, uh, this morning as well? Yeah. They're back there dressed in black, hiding because they don't like it when I do that. But they, if, if it wasn't for them, we, you couldn't hear and you couldn't see anything. Uh, and for all those people uh, running around in blue shirts, making it happen behind the scenes, greeting you and getting your coffee and getting the kitchen ready and welcoming you uh, this morning, no, they are not Best Buy employees. They are volunteers here at Lutheran Church of Hope. Uh, we are so thankful for them uh, as well. So it has been an awesome summer so far here at Hope. God does not take the summer off, and we're excited about all the things that are happening as we kind of ramp up uh, to VBS here in just a couple weeks. But one of the things we've been doing this summer at all of our campuses is going through the book of Acts, this summer series called The Summer of Acts. Everybody say Acts. That's the book that we're in. If you want to turn there, uh, you're more than welcome to, uh, to the book of Acts in your Bible. But one of the things that I've loved about this, a lot of times uh, with larger books, we just have time to kind of hit on the highlights uh, of the book, but one of the things I love about this series during the summer is that we've been, we're taking the whole summer and going through one book. We're not going to Romans yet, we're just staying in Acts for the whole summer, and a lot of times we just get to hear the popular stories and, and the ones that you've probably heard of and talk about the main characters, but one of the things that we've been able to do this summer is go into some of those smaller stories that get skipped over or the lesser Characters. So just to kind of get our minds going here this morning, this is kind of a participatory part of the sermon. When I say the book of Acts, when I, when I say Acts, and you think about what we've covered so far, even if you're unfamiliar with it, you may be familiar, what are some of the main characters, just the names of people that you would associate with the book of Acts? Just yell them out really quick. Saul, Paul, Barnabas, Philip, Peter, that's right. We got Peter, Paul, but not Mary. Sorry for those of you music fans here in the book of Acts. Right. So how about those? I didn't hear anybody yell out Priscilla. No? How about Tabitha? No? Dorcas? No? Okay. Th these ladies are in the Bible. You've heard of them. Just, and if you're having a baby and looking to name your, your daughter, Dorcas is available. It's a great biblical name. Uh, just wanted to throw that one uh, out there. There's a reason that her nickname was Tabitha. So all these ladies are in there. Uh, and certainly Peter and Paul are some of the main characters, and rightly so, as kind of the, the heroes uh, of the early church, and they kind of take center stage. But if you read between the popular stories, you see the smaller stories, and you see a lot of these uh, maybe lesser-known characters, including many women, come center stage and make an incredible impact for the kingdom. And it would be a shame to spend this entire summer on the book of Acts and not highlight some of the women that helped made the early church possible. But before we go a little bit further, the second I say that, just a word of warning to the guys out there. 
don't check out. This is, message is still for you as well. Number one, if it wasn't for the ladies, we wouldn't be here, okay? So that's just humbling, number one, right? And number two, every single one of you is sitting next to a woman this morning, knows a woman, is married to a woman, has a, a daughter, has a mom, has a grandma, an aunt, a friend, somebody in your small group. And it's our role as men to see how God sees women throughout Scripture and to respond with his heart as we lift them up and celebrate them today as we walk through the book of Acts. But the other thing I want to highlight for you is the question I want to pose is not just for the ladies this morning, it's really for all of us. The the, the question I want to center us in on this theme is what is standing in the way of you realizing your fullest potential and who God is wanting you to be this morning. If, if, you're, if you're here this morning in the present circumstances of your life, everybody, everybody has a here and everybody has a there. And this is where you are and everybody has kind of a vision for the man or woman that you want to be. What obstacles, what roadblocks are getting in the way between you being the man or woman of God that he's calling you to be? Another way of asking it is where do you still feel disqualified in joining his mission? What's getting in the way of that? And Because I believe here's what we're going to find today. That the church is way more effective when godly women, and men for that matter, but when godly women of all ages step into who God has uniquely created them to be and learn to be dangerous for the kingdom of God. Now, some of you have maybe grown up in church, and you have all sorts of different experiences of how the church has treated women, but I'm guessing that you've never had a pastor encourage you to be dangerous, ladies. I'm not talking about dangerous like go set some things on fire for the 4th of July. I'm talking about dangerous for a cause to make an impact for the kingdom of God and to take some risks for the sake of of the kingdom. And the reason I say that is because all over, particularly the Old Testament and as we get into the early church, you see God using women to play irreplaceable roles in his kingdom. But before we get to the book of Acts, we need some context for that of how God created women, how God sees women from the very beginning. And this is going to be conveniently located, keep your finger in the book of Acts, go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, to page 1, to Genesis chapter 1 and and chapter 2. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 might be the easiest thing I ever have you look up. In the very beginning of your Bible, that's where we're going to start. It has been evident what the world would be like without women from the very beginning. So if you go through the days, you remember that God creates the, the light and the darkness and the sky and, and the sea and the land and the, the birds and the fish and the animals and every living being. And after every single day, it's kind of this poetic language in Genesis, after every single day, God saw that it was good, right? Everybody say good. Good, good. And then we go through those first five days and then we get to the sixth day. So we get to Genesis chapter 2 now, verse 18. And this disruption in the flow of the goods, verse 18 said, the Lord God said, it is not good. Everybody say, not good. good. Men, just the men say, not good. good. Because you know what's coming, right? It is not good for the man to be alone, God said, so I will make a helper suitable for him. In other words, God looked at Adam and said, that boy's going to need some help, right? (laughs) Gentlemen, can I get an amen, Amen. right? We could just end the sermon right there, right? Uh, 
Now, helper. A lot of people will get hung up on that word. And that, that, that word and, and that phrasing and this idea has been misconstrued and, and used to kind of abuse this part of the scripture and to treat women as less than. And a lot of women read that and say, oh, gee whiz, God just thinks I'm a little helper. Like I'm just a little tag along along the side of, of the man. I can't actually like play a really important role in God's story. I'm just the little helper. And that has been used to, instead of lift up women and celebrate them, it has been used to push them down, and the church has been a part of that sometimes, and sometimes men do that to other women, and sometimes ladies, you can do that to each other by the way that you talk and treat each other, but that's not God, what God thinks at all. If you dig a little bit deeper into that in the original Hebrew that the book of Genesis was written in, the same word for helper there is this fun Hebrew symbol up there, and it's pronounced azer. Everybody say azer. Azer, that word for helper is used a few other times particularly throughout the Old Testament, to describe one other person. And that would be God. So, ladies, the next time that you think you're just a little helper, remember that God thinks that highly of you and that that's the context for what what you are seen as, to describe God. You heard these verses, the Lord is my help and my salvation. That's really good Company. Azer is used elsewhere as it describes God as our help in terms of being our sustainer, our provider, our rescuer, our life giver, our helper. So not a tag along, but an irreplaceable role in the story. So this is far beyond husbands needing wives and Adam being in a mess without Eve. This is about how God, hear me say this, has designed every single woman to be a vital, irreplaceable force for the kingdom of God in this world. So what an incredible calling, ladies, you have to model the character of God in that way, to be the azer, to be the sustainer, the provider, the rescuer, the life giver. And it shouldn't surprise us of that, that that's a part of the character of God because he is the one that breathes life into the universe. He's the one that breathes life into people and raises things and people at times from the dead and brings life back to them. Such is the case in a really short story from Mark chapter 5. I know we're jumping all over the place today, so go with me to the Gospels now. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 35. So you're in Acts. We're going to go back a few years to Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. And when we arrive on the scene, Jesus is well into his ministry. He's done lots of miracles, and we pick it up In Mark chapter 5, verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. Everybody say Jairus. Jairus. The synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? So what's happening? So this little girl has tragically died, and she happens to be the daughter of a, a pretty influential big church leader. And because they've, the people around him have heard that Jesus can heal and do all these miracles, they send for Jesus. So you skip ahead into the story, and Jesus goes to Jairus' house. He arrives on the scene, and everybody is weeping and crying and mourning. It's just a tragic scene. And we read that Jesus enters right into this situation. Jesus, who is God, who is the Azer, the life giver, the rescuer. We read in verse 41, it says, Took her by the hand, this little girl, and said to her, Talitha Kaum." 
which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Don't, don't miss this. Put yourself there. A girl just stood up on her deathbed. <laughs> and this shouldn't surprise us about Jesus because he is the Azer. He is the life giver. He is the rescuer. And here's the thing. If Jesus can raise a dead girl back to life, what is he incapable of in your life? Is there an area, men and women alike, is there an area of your life where you said, no, this is just the way things are? You know, God, I think I've experienced everything that I can of you. This is, this is my perception of what the church is like, and so I'm just assuming this is the way things are going to be, and nothing could ever change that. Remember what Jesus said to the little girl? Talitha Kaum, little girl, arise. Wake up. In her case, it was from a physical state of death or sleep, but he says, he says the same thing, ladies in particular, to you today. Little girl, rise up. Wake up. And he doesn't say it in a condescending way, like, I, I, I know that you're adults, but at the same time, inside of every woman is a little girl. And inside every man is a little boy, and we're all trying to figure out what it means to be a man or woman of God. And I cannot think of a more important message that God has for every single woman today as we look at these characters, these females in the Bible, not a more important message than wake up, <laughs> arise, <laughs> Step into who God has called you to be. God is calling you out. And I believe that Jesus wants to bring some dead or dormant things in your life back to life today. Maybe it's your faith that's kind of plateaued a little bit or maybe is non-existence. Maybe it's your marriage that has become more about survival than anything. Maybe it's a, a vision that when you were younger, when you were a young woman, when you were a little girl, you had these dreams and this vision for what your life could be, and then something somebody said squashed that, or somebody did something to you, or abused you in some way, and you've been carrying that wound with you, or maybe it's these expectations that your mom has for you, or that somebody else placed on you, and you've been trying to live up to everybody else's expectations, and that dream, that vision that you once had has been covered up by layer and layer of productivity and busyness, and you have accepted this truth this lie from the enemy that the main characteristic of a Christian woman is to be productive and busy and nice. Ladies, I don't know about you. I'm not one of you, but I don't know if that would get me out of bed in the morning. I don't know if that would fire me up, and I don't think that Jesus went to the cross and to the grave so that you could be a nice, productive, busy Christian woman. And maybe you've had no, and nobody's ever told you this or what you've been told, but the church is way more effective for the kingdom when godly women of all ages stop settling for everybody else's expectations and vision for your life except the God who made you. And he dares you this morning to be a little dangerous. To take some risks. To step out of your comfort zone and into those places where God is calling you. To stop living for everybody else's expectations. And when's the last time that you asked, ladies, that you asked your Father in heaven, God, who do you want me to be? God, who am I to you? 
Do you think that I'm beautiful? Do you think that I'm strong? Do you think that I'm brave? Do you think that I'm a good wife? Do you think that I'm a good mother? When's the last time you asked God and listened for a response? For the sake of the kingdom. Wake up, arise, talitha kuum, Jesus says. Stop playing it safe. How do I know this? Because I see it in the ladies around me in this longing to not just be a little helper, but to be that irreplaceable Azair, that irreplaceable role in the story. I see it in our kids. I see it in my daughter. So Caleb is four, as you know, and Evie is two. And this is what uh, happens when mom leaves and the kids are left home with dad. We make sling- slingshots. Yes, we do, uh, whether that's approved uh, or not. And, of course, Evie is wearing my dad is the coolest shirt, so I dressed her that day, of course. So we're making slingshots out there in the front yard. I tell you about Caleb a lot, but I want to tell you about Evie today because she's two going on 16. And that girl has some sass, and she has some spunk. And so we're going for a family walk the other day, the four of us, and we're walking. And for some reason, Evie just really loves to be in front. And so we were catching up, and so Caleb was getting in front of her, and then Tiffany and I were getting in front of her, and we were kind of running out ahead. And all of a sudden, this little two-year-old, with all the, the fire and gusto in her little belly, she walks up, and she turns around and looks back the three of us on the sidewalk and says, Stop! She just does this face like this. She says, stop, dada, no, no, mommy, brother, slow, Evie, go. (laughs) And then see, she she doesn't run. She doesn't walk. She kind of like shakes her hips like this in her arms. And she says, Evie, turn, Evie, go. And then she just kind of waddles like this, like that. This woman is going to be president someday. I don't know what is going on, but I don't know if she's going to be a leader or not. But here is my deepest desire for her as an emerging woman, that that she would never lose that fire. You know what I mean? That she would never lose that spunk. That it wouldn't be somebody that comes along and says something to her and then she says, no, I shouldn't be a leader. I shouldn't step out. I shouldn't be dangerous for the kingdom of God. I love that about her and I never want that fire, that, that spunk, that passion to leave. And I want to do everything that I can for the years that she is under my roof to help her flourish, to become everything that God created her to be. And guys, that's my challenge for you this morning as we talk about women, whether it's your wife or your mom or your girlfriend or a woman in your small group or your daughter. A great question that a mentor once posed to me that you can ask yourself is, how can I help these women in my life flourish? Not what can I get from this relationship. How can I serve the women around me? How can I lift them up? How can I celebrate them and help them become and partner with God in helping them become everything that they're created to be? And that's my heart for Evie as a father. And ladies, I want you to know that's God's heart for you as a father today as well. He says, I want you to flourish. I want you to be dangerous. I want you to make an impact with the years that you have on this earth and stop playing it safe, even if that means being a leader. And how do we know that? Because it's all over the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts. And we've got a couple fun stories to look at today. So now we can go to the book of Acts all the way to chapter 16. And we're going to look at two dangerous women uh, in the book of Acts here this morning. The first one in Acts chapter 16. So if you look at this map, just to give you a little bit of context of where we are, way down in the bottom right corner, 
uh, over here is Jerusalem, and that's where a lot of the book of Acts takes place. And if you see that red line, this is what scholars consider Paul's second missionary journey. So Paul's traveling, not with Barnabas anymore, but with Silas and another young leader named Timothy, who he later wrote some letters to, which you hold in your hands as a part of First and Second Timothy this morning. So Paul travels. It's a long ways, folks. There's no Casey's or come and go for a pizza or a pop on the way. This is a long way. So he's stopping all these places. And where our story's going to take place today is up there at the top in a town called Philippi. Everybody say Philippi. Paul's going to go there with Silas and Timothy, and they're going to convert some people. They're going to share the gospel. People are going to be converted, become believers. Eventually, they're going to plant a church there, and then Paul's going to write a letter to the church at Philippi, and that letter is known as Philippians, which you also hold in your Bible today as well. So we're discovering how the Bible was written today. So that's where our story is taking place today. And while they were there, uh, Paul and the others meet a woman named Lydia who receives the gospel, and then we read this in verse 15. When she and the members of her household there in Philippi were baptized, it says she invited us, so Paul speaking, invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she says, come and stay at my house. So it'd be really easy to skip over this story, but I don't want you to miss this. Lydia is an ordinary woman who makes uh, cloth, fine linens, purple linens for a living, And can you imagine living in a place like Philippi that at the time there was no church? (laughs) Can you imagine living in a city and there's no church and you don't even know if there's any other believers there, right? How easy is it going to be to be bold and strong in your faith when there's nobody else around? It's easy on Sunday morning, right? What about Monday morning? And that's Lydia. She's out there all by herself, but what she discovers is that she's got this natural uh, place as they're cleaning these linens and making them to sell as these fine fabrics. They're washing them and they're cleaning other clothes down by the river. And so she meets these four or five other women that are down by the river, and we read that they are, every Sabbath, she prays with these women. So she's using what she has for the sake of the gospel. And she is recorded as one of the first converts in what we now know as Europe. And so she's brand new in her faith. She's brand new in her faith. Women are looked down in society, looked down on in society at this time. And it would be so easy for Lydia to say, you know what? I don't think I have much to offer. Anybody ever said that? (laughs) You ever been offered a Uh, an opportunity at work or at home or here at the church, somebody lifts up an opportunity for you and you say, you know, (laughs) I've heard a lot of people say, I'm a little bit too young in my faith. I I don't know enough. I don't have the Bible memorized. I'm a little new at this. I, I don't think I have much to offer. I'm not really qualified for that. And hear me say this, we're all about training and maturing, but if we waited to meet a lot of the expectations that you and I place on ourselves, we would have no leaders at this church. If we spend all our time trying to live up to these expectations that we place on ourselves, that I, somehow I have to be good enough or smart enough or equipped enough to be used by God, we wouldn't have any small group leaders. Hope Kids wouldn't be going on right now. The nursery wouldn't be happening right now. Student ministry wouldn't be going on. Young adult ministry wouldn't be going on. We wouldn't have any small group leaders or missions leaders or breakfast club or anybody, any of the worship team, if we all felt ill-equipped. Instead, I can't read the book of Acts And not see that the mission of God was built on the backs of men and women who doubted themselves, who were unprepared, who were unqualified, 
or insecure? Anybody identify? <laughs> I know I can. Just like Lydia. But for Lydia, she invited Paul and Silas and Timothy into her home. And you're like, well, that's not that big of a deal. It's a really big deal because there's no Holiday Inn in, in Philippi. Okay? And if you're a missionary, your missionary work spreading the gospel is contingent on having a place to stay and kind of plant and be the headquarters. And they stayed there for a long time so that they could plant the gospel in Philippi. And Lydia was a big part of that. The gospel was way too important for Lydia to play small. Talitha Kaum, Jesus said to Lydia, wake up, stop playing it safe, and step in to my story. But she wasn't the only one. Skip ahead a couple chapters. Acts 18. Acts 18. So we're skipping ahead in the story a little bit, and we read in verse 1 and 2, after this, Paul left Athens. So now they're up in the area of Greece, and they went to Corinth, where Paul also plants a church, writes a letter, and we have the book known as the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, right? So verse 2, there he met a Jew named Aquila, the husband, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Folks, it's the cutest couple in Corinth. It's Aquila and Priscilla. Their names rhyme, right? So there they are. They have rhyming names. And to get a little bit of context for this story, like, what's going on? Why is that so important? If you read in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is speaking back to the Corinthians about Aquila and Priscilla, and he says this, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. So he's planted the church, he's writing back to them now, and then let's read this together, what he writes to them. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. What? Wait, wait a minute. The church that meets at their house, they are leading a house church movement. They were the beginnings of the church in Corinth, a man and a woman together. And later we read that Priscilla, the female, is teaching other male leaders in the church and helping them with understanding the gospel and their preaching. And here's why this is so cool. The best part of this story, if you read between the lines, Aquila and Priscilla didn't just move to Corinth, they were kicked out of Rome, which was their home. So can you imagine getting kicked out of your home, you have nothing, you don't know anybody, and you're in a brand new city, which is Corinth, which if you read the book of Corinthians is like Las Vegas on steroids at night, right? Not a good place to be. And here they are in this brand new place, completely unideal circumstances. When life throws you a curveball and you're in a difficult season of your life, have you thought about planting a church? Have you thought about sharing the gospel, whatever chance you get? That's exactly what they did. And sometimes, ladies in particular, I think because we're talking specifically to you today, I think we get in these seasons of our lives. We say, you know, I'm not married yet, so I'm not going to really take that seriously. I don't really have kids yet, so I can't really do anything significant for God. See, I'm still kind of waiting on getting into grad school, or when I finish grad school, or when the kids are a little bit older, then I can get more involved and, and do stuff. Or when the kids are out of the house, then I'll have more time. And when I get retired, then I'll have more time. And we just make up all these excuses and these barriers that we set up to be used by God. And I think God just looks at you this morning and asks you, so when is going to be the perfect time? to go all in. When is going to be that ideal time? If you're waiting for the ideal time, 
to make your faith a priority, it's never going to come. Life is not lived on the mountaintops. It's lived in the in-betweens. It's lived in the valleys. When is going to be the perfect time to go all in with Jesus? And you look at these stories, these women. For Lydia, it was her inexperience that was an obstacle. For Priscilla, it was her completely unideal circumstances. What has you disqualified today, ladies and gentlemen as well? What's got you on the sidelines? What's holding you back? Is it a doubt? Is it a fear? Is it something that somebody said or done to you? Because you know that bitterness that you hold in your heart and a grudge that you hold or frustration or anger, it hurts you more than the other group or the other person. A wound, something that's happened to you, a mistake that you've made in the past. And the reason that we're focusing on the ladies today is that depending on your church background, you see the whole gamut of the way that churches treated women over the years, but I cannot help but read the Bible and see over and over these stories of women that God called out and said, Talitha kum, step up, wake up, arise, and step into this irreplaceable role in my story to be dangerous for God. And what we believe at Hope is that as you dig into Scripture, women are not just little helpers that come along, they are leaders, vitally important leaders that we need. And if you look at the culture surrounding every one of these stories of women in the Bible, the Bible is actually radical in the way that it views women. Some people, not many, but some people say, oh, the Bible's anti-women because of all these different things, because all it ever talks about is men. If you dig deeper and you look at the cultural context and the way that society treated women in those days, the Bible is so radical. It's so countercultural in the way that it lifts up and celebrates and praises women and calls them out to be everything that they were created to be. And you read these stories, and the stories continue all the way down through the centuries right here to this church. And there's evidence of it all around. We would not be who we are without women in vital leadership positions all over this church at Lutheran Church of Hope. It's our church council president, Ladies on the church council, on the mission board, pastors, directors, ministry leaders. We are so thankful for them. And anytime I get a chance to, to bring up leaders up here on stage and celebrate them, I can. So today we're going to invite up uh, three ladies. And so I want to invite up uh, Tiffany and Val and Rose to come up. And as they come on up on the stage, would you wel warmly welcome them here this morning? Come on up. Oh, keep your applause going. Here they come. Here they come. Okay. So uh, there are dozens and dozens of incredible uh, leaders in this church, and these are just three of them, but I wanted them to just give you kind of a snapshot of uh, what they've learned as uh, women in leadership in the church. And so I, I thought I would start by having uh, each of you just share a little bit about, uh, about who you are and maybe some of the things that you've been involved with uh, here at Hope, and particularly some of the ways that you have stepped into leadership and led. So... Val's going to start us off because she has the mic. So tell us, tell us a little bit about you, Val. Um, well, um, probably the first um, place I was um, quote-unquote leader would be in women's ministry stuff. Um, yep. I uh, have led a small group for a while, not right now, but uh, for a lot of years led a small group and was the coach for women leaders for a few years too. Yep which I got a lot, of, a lot of joy and a lot of blessing from that. Um, and right now I'm the coordinator for Breakfast Club. Woo-woo! Come on, <laughs> Breakfast Club folks. Woo-woo! 
um, which is just a huge blessing in my life. So that, I mean, those are kind of the two areas. Awesome. Cool. Rose, how about you? Um, well, when I first moved to Des Moines back in 05, I got really involved out involved in West Des Moines, did a lot with immersion, yeah. then went into revive, um, then felt God really calling me into youth ministry. Yeah. So did well, worship on Wednesday, Sunday mornings, and now I'm really involved in Hope Kids here and Wiz Kids on Thursday nights and just yeah. feel, yeah, God definitely has me called to the youth ministry yeah. part at church. So Awesome. Cool. Tiffany, how about you? Yeah. Um, I'm able to be on staff currently, and so I um, lead what we call our operations team, which is <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Katie's back there. We're on the same of, team. A lot of raising the roof going on here this morning. Um, yeah. yeah, so communications facility, um, weekend experience, things like that. Uh, I also am on the worship team, and I've led some life groups, and that's yeah. what I do. You do a pretty good job on the worship team. Thank you. Thank you. For doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the thing, ladies. I'm guessing that you always haven't seen yourselves as leaders. There's a lot of women out there this morning that when they hear the word leader, they're like, that is not me at all. Like, you know, Jesus teaches us to be humble, so I'm not really a leader, right? But sometimes it can be a false humility as well. And each of you have had to work through certain doubts and fears and obstacles things, maybe lies that you believed about yourself to get to that place where you were willing to step into leadership. So Tiffany, do you want to start us off on this one and just share what are some of the things that you've had to work through to get to that place to answer God's call to step out in leadership? Yeah, um, there are a lot of things that I've had to work through and continue to. Um, but when John asked this question, two things came to mind for me. Um, and they're both about my personality. Uh, and so uh, the first one was uh, I used to work at a camp, and um, the place blessed me immensely. But uh, something that I found with the counselors was uh, they would come up to me afterwards and say, at first, you're really intimidating. And then once I got to know you, you were fine. Um, and so although they were saying it kind of as a compliment, it it stung a little bit, and so I worked through that a little bit, and how can I lead and still be who I am and still maybe be bold and, and forward, I guess, um, if that's what they were seeing as intimidating, um, and how can I remain who I am as a leader, but then also show the loving side of who I am. Maybe I wasn't showing that as much. Um, and then the other thing is more so from when I was little, and it's, it's hard to share, but... Um, I feel like I was told I was loud uh, and obnoxious um, when I was little, uh, not necessarily by my parents a ton, but the only girl on boys' soccer team sorts of situations and um, before girls' soccer was a thing. Uh, and so, yeah, I feel like I've been, I've been working through that, and I still even do. Like, I work in a shared office, and sometimes maybe... I talk more than what I need to sort of thing. So those are mine. Oh, and so how does that connect with leadership? Again, how, how I am who I am. Who, how do I stay who I am in leadership? Um, yeah, how can I be bold but yet also listen well? So Yeah, awesome. Rose, how about you? <clears throat> um, well, I guess when I first started volunteering, it's getting up there and 
you know, fearing people's judgment. Yeah. What if, what if I'm not good enough? What if they really see, you know, the real me or right. not perfect? And that was difficult to overcome because it was yeah. making it more all about me instead of about what I can do for God right. was part of it. And then also with working with kids and other leadership roses, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I'm up there in front of these kids. They ask me this question. And I go, I, I don't know. I don't know why you don't have it figured out. Everybody else has it figured out, Rose. I don't know why you don't. I'm yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. So that was a few big things I had to overcome. And yeah. it definitely, especially with them, some of it is to be able to speak to kids saying, you know what, there are going to be times when people may think you're a little, you know, not normal. Or I tell the kids every, when I'm up there, like, we have to pass a crazy test now in order yes. to become kids' leaders. <laughs> you have to prove you're crazy. Yeah. And they're like, really? I go, yep. Yeah. And they just, they love it, and yeah. they eat it up. And then when they ask questions you don't know the answer to, the power of saying, you know what, I don't know, but that's okay, right. just shows them that it's okay not to know everything. And just in general, right. being that leader, it's being a lot more real, a lot more raw. Yeah. Because it... I mean, questions will be asked, things will happen, and it's just, you know what, God's bigger, and no one's perfect, and yeah. that's definitely part of it, so. Absolutely. Thanks. Val, how about you? What, what things have you had to work through? Uh, well, probably b my biggest thing is public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! Uh, um, I get really nervous speaking in front of people, uh, you know, groups of people, so um, I don't you know, it was really, and John knows this, it was, it's always been really hard for me to yeah. think of myself as a leader. Um, but at some point, it just gets to be an obedience thing. Um, mm. um, and I, I guess I don't, I don't always look at it as leading. I look yeah. at it as serving. I mean, yeah. I just, I have ended up serving where my passions are. And, uh, and then when leadership opportunities present themselves, and they always do, <laughs> um, it, you know, you, uh, I just try to say yes, you know, when, yeah. I, when I can, even if it's not always the most comfortable thing. And I just, I just always hear that voice in my head in the, you know, somewhere in the Old Testament where God says, whom shall I send? Yeah. And somebody has to say, you know, here I am, send yeah. me. And um, you get, you know, those opportunities are presented and, and you just have to make up your mind. Um, you're going to say yes sometimes when yeah. it's an area of passion. And the other thing about that is... Um, for serving is just, you know, serving is just showing uh, the love that you feel from God to other people. I mean, right. I, you know, you come to a point in your life where you're, you're just so grateful for what God's done in your own life and just the way that he loves you. He's so sweet to me. He's just loved me in such amazing ways. And the way to love him back is to love other people. And yeah. so that, that happens in serving, and then serving happens to lead to leadership. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, so good. Thanks, that's, that's sort of my path. I've never like said, oh, let me lead that. You know, yeah. it's just like, yeah. Okay. And maybe that's the way that it's supposed to be, right? I, maybe I, that's what it's supposed to look like. like. Yeah. So here's my last question uh, for you ladies. I'm guessing that there are some women out there this morning that have heard this whole message and are still thinking, yeah, I don't know. I'm there kind of on the fence with this whole thing about do, God's calling me to step out. And even if it's leading my family, which I, we believe is one of the highest callings that you can have uh, as, as a mom or a dad is to lead your family well, to lead at work, to lead in the church. What would you say to the women that are here this morning kind of about your journey and just to encourage them to step out in faith? Uh, what, what would you encourage them with this morning? 
I think maybe I kind of already answered that. I would sure. say serve in an area where you're, where you're called and where you're passionate. For me, it was, I started women's ministry because I love my life group. I love being in a life group. And eventually yeah. when you're there long enough, you take a turn leading it. Yep. <laughs> and yep. then when somebody asked me, well, would you talk to the other leaders? And I can have coffee with women. I mean, that's yeah. not hard. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, start in an area where you feel comfortable and, and you feel called. And then um, those opportunities will right. present. And you just have to, you just have to say yes. Yep. <laughs> Um, yeah. Does that answer it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Rose, how about you? What would you say to the ladies out there today? Um, don't let, you know, fear stop you. Um, it's scary stepping out there, but usually once you walk in there and you realize it's not nearly as scary as you built it up in your mind and um, find your passion. Like, what are you good at? What, what makes you drive? And yes. find that too and don't be afraid to say, hey, I don't see this going on at church and say, what can we make it happen? Because chances are there's other people here that love yeah. that too and would love to work with you on that as well. So just, yeah, find out what God is telling you to do. I mean, the passion, because he created us all very specifically for his, you know, we're one body, many different talents and passions. and. Yeah you don't have to be the same as the person sitting next to you or us up here because right. life would get boring if we were all just <laughs> like us. So, same. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Tiffany, how about you? What would you say? Um, <clears throat> I think that I would share the, the words, um, holy uncomfortableness is coming to my mind right now. Um, when God calls us to leadership so often, you feel uncomfortable, and so then sometimes we can turn that uncomfortableness into like, I'm not supposed to do it because it doesn't feel right. Um, but sometimes when we're uncomfortable um, or when kind of like fear, um, that is when God's work is done even more because when it is accomplished, it's all about him and not about us. Um, and so I feel like I can only speak from where I'm at, and I feel like I'm in that right now. I feel like God is taking me on a journey right now of uncomfortable um, in lots of different ways and um, calling me out in that. And so then I am able to praise him because when I succeed, it's like, wow, that was uncomfortable from step A to Z, and it happened, and so it's not about me then. So I would say in leadership, it will be uncomfortable. And I'm not saying like in those hard times, like it's going to be hard too. It's hard work. Yeah. I'm not, those are two different things. But yeah, when you feel uncomfortable, sometimes that is God's little nudge saying, let's do it when you get those butterflies or, yeah. Yeah. Here's what I love about uh, and really appreciate about each of these ladies up here this morning. Each of them is, is at a different place in their life. They're at one of those seasons in their life. They're all in transition. They're learning new things. They're all at different phases of their life, and yet they haven't let that get in the way of stepping into leadership. Val, like you said, it's an obedience thing, and you step into that regardless of where you're at. And I just want you to know this, and for the dozens of other women that serve in our church uh, every single day, we are a better more effective, healthier, more Christ-centered church because of the three of you and so many other women that serve in this church every day. So can we give God praise for them? Absolutely. Thank you. And here's maybe the best news of all. I love how Paul puts this in the book of Galatians and kind of wraps this all together and ties it together. Paul says this. 
For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Everybody say heirs. That's a word we don't use a lot, but you all know what that means kind of in legal terms. God says there's this new thing that I'm starting called the church, and your identity, although it is uniquely male and female, your primary identity is a child of God. (laughs) And when he says that you are heirs, that is a a word that was used in Jesus' day. And in Old Testament times, if you are an heir, then you get everything from your father. You get everything from the king. You get everything from who he is. And that was a word that was normally reserved for the firstborn male. And Paul says, neither male nor female, you are all heirs. So ladies, I want you to hear this loud and clear this morning. Your father is the king of kings. And so this morning, you have all the love and all the affection and all the power and all the Holy Spirit and all the authority to do everything that he's called you to be and to step into who he's called you to be. So why would you ever underestimate what he can overcome in your life? What fears or doubts or mistakes or obstacles are in the way for you to overcome? I saw this commercial uh, a few weeks ago, and it speaks to younger girls. But as we talked about that story with Jesus and the young girl this morning, ladies, I want to challenge you as you watch this video to kind of reach back to that young woman that's inside each of you and say, what obstacles does God want to overcome in your life? Let's take a look. So, ladies, what word or phrase would go on your box this morning? What are those things from your past? What are those lies that you've been told? What are those fears that you have right now? that are standing in the way between you and a relationship with God, between you and stepping into leadership. And I I don't know what that is, but (laughs) you probably want to knock down and blow up those boxes as well because that's not who you are. You're a daughter of the king, and you've got nothing to prove to anybody. Where I would slightly differ with the commercial a little bit is that you don't have to try harder this morning. And ladies, you also don't have to buy into that lie that you have to be so strong. Because when we want to overcome these things and beat these things and and rise up, often women think that they have to be tough. That you have to perform. You have to try harder. You can put the, the tough facade away and you can just be who you are because you have one that has already done the performing for you. And he loves you right where you are today, no matter what's going on. And there is nothing that he can't overcome. You don't have to be strong enough because when you are weak, ladies, he is exceedingly strong. Men, let's surround the women in our life with all the love and all the strength and all the encouragement that we possibly can to help them thrive, to help them flourish, to help them destroy these lies and these obstacles that stand in the way of them becoming who God created them to be. 
God is the one, Jesus is the one that can overcome these things in your life and him alone. So we turn to him, not to the latest fad, not to the latest magazine, not to what everybody else is saying on Facebook, not to what everybody else is doing. If you want to become who you were created to be, ask your father who created you and who calls you out this morning, Talitha Koum. He can overcome. So we're going to sing a final song here in a little bit. It's called Overcome, and it's a new song, and I wanted to read some of these powerful words for you this morning. And for every fear, there's an empty grave. For the risen one has overcome, and he shall reign forever. Strongholds now surrender, for the Lord our God has overcome. And if he can overcome the cross and the grave this morning, there is not anything in your life that can stand in the way of him and you. So let's stand together and we're going to sing this new song together, Overcome. Overcome.